Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. So I've got a question for you today. How many of you have a friend or a loved one, don't point at them, okay, but have a friend or a loved one or someone you care about who you think their spiritual gift might be exaggerating? Anybody got a friend like that? They exaggerate everything? No? Okay, okay, we got a few. No one's raising their hands, but they're nodding. I'm glad you didn't point. Um, but we, I mean, we all probably exaggerate a little bit from time to time. Jose over here, he's told me stories where fish went from this big to this big to this big. I mean, that happens. That's just a fishing story. But I, I grew up with one friend, and we'll call him Ben. We'll just call him Ben, because I don't know if he'll ever watch this. He'll probably recognize the story anyway. But, and Ben, let me just tell you, Ben could exaggerate. I mean, he just was good at it, and, and you, you got to the point where when Ben told you a story, you, de- you never believed the whole story. You just did it. You're like trying to decipher through the story to find out what's the thing in there that there's probably a part of it that's true, but most of it's not true, and, and you had to try and decipher it, and you couldn't really trust Ben. Well, one day, Ben and I were in the car, and I will never forget this. I just... Because this is so classic, Ben. We're in the car, we're driving to my friend's house, and we are, we are already late. We're already past the time that we're supposed to be there. And we are 45 minutes to an hour late. Like, we're, we could be there in 45 minutes if we catch every light and he speeds the entire way. But we're probably closer to an hour late. So my friend calls us, you know, because... Ben was always running late, and don't just be honest, I was too. And so we get a call, and he calls up Ben, and he goes, Ben, he goes, where are you guys? He goes, don't worry, dude, we'll be there in 10 minutes. And, <laughs> and he's like, okay, good. And he just hangs up the phone. And I just looked over at him, and I was like, dude, we are 45 minutes away at best. He's like, yeah, I know, I just didn't want him to get mad. So I just told him 10 minutes. <laughs> I'm, sure, I was, I'm sure he'll be real happy sitting on the front porch for the next 45 minutes waiting for us to arrive. I mean, he just exaggerated. He exaggerated to the point where you couldn't believe him. You couldn't trust him. And you know what? In, a, in our day today, a lot of things are really exaggerated. A lot of things are really just, I mean, it's like you read the news and, and you read the headline and it's just, it's almost like it's written to get a rise out of you. And then when you actually read the facts, It's like, wow, that's exaggerated. That's not really the truth. That's only just part of the truth. Everything's exaggerated. So today, when I talk to you about the importance of prayer, you might be tempted to think that I'm exaggerating. I am not exaggerating this morning. We're talking about prayer, the importance of it, the power of it, and the place that it should have in our lives. Keys to effective prayer. I believe that prayer is If not the, it's got to be in the top most important things that the church in America needs that at times we're missing is serious, persistent prayer. If you believe that, say amen. We've got to have prayer. And so when I talk about these things, you might think, well, he's just exaggerating. He's using superlatives. Prayer is something, I'm telling you, we cannot get wrong. We can never exaggerate the importance of it because our God, listen to this, responds to sincere prayer. Our God responds to sincere prayer, and at times, it has to be sincere, persistent prayer, where we continue praying for something. And and, and if you wanna get just a glimpse, just a picture of the importance of that prayer has, and, and the place it should have in the church, 
I think, I'd challenge you just to read through Acts over the next week or two. If you're not reading anywhere in the Bible, why don't you just start up in Acts right now, uh, this week, and just read a couple chapters a day. You'll be in Acts in a week or two. And let me tell you, you will hear about the importance and the power of prayer. It begins with Jesus saying, hey guys, I know I've given you this mission to go and make disciples, but don't even start it. Wait until you've been filled from power with power from on high, until you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't even begin your mission. So they, the whole church, all the disciples, they've been trained by Jesus for three years. That training's not enough. They gather in an upper room and they pray and they pray and they pray until they're filled with the Holy Spirit. That prayer meeting pours out into the streets where Peter preaches and 3,000 people get saved. And what's amazing is not only is Peter preaching, but everybody there, they, they all come from different places. They all have a different native language, and everyone's hearing them in their native language by the power of God after a prayer meeting. And as you continue reading in Acts, you see over and over, prison doors are opened to prayer, right? People are set free from sin and bondage and demonic oppression by prayer, uh, mission trips are commissioned and began through prayer. All these different things are the response to sincere and persevering prayer. So when I tell you, you can't overstate the importance of prayer, I really mean it this morning. We need to pray, and we need to pray more, and we need to pray persistently and sincerely. That is really what the church needs as we're looking towards New Horizons. Let's think about this. Our, the series we're in, we're talking about New Horizons, how God has a plan for our church, how, how God has a plan for us personally, and God wants to take us beyond where we've been. He wants to take us to where he is leading us. He's got a plan for us. He's got a path carved out for us. You know, God has good things in the future for us. Not all things are good, but God has good things for us in his plan. But I will tell you, we need prayer if we're ever going to see the new horizons that God wants us to see. We've got to commit to prayer. And let's remember what, what Scripture says in Ephesians 6, verse 12. Okay, I, I have to read this verse a lot. I really do. Because I, if, if you're like me, sometimes you get focused on what's right around you. But let's read this verse together. It's on the screen. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Can I remind you today that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle? And that's why prayer is so important. Kids, or parents, your kids are in the midst of a spiritual battle at school every day. Our nation is in the midst of a spiritual battle every day. The powers of darkness are at work in our country, whether I want to admit it or not. You know, it's not just people making decisions. When I think that way, people become my enemy. But when I read this verse, I'm reminded I don't have a person that's an enemy. I have a spiritual enemy. I am actually for people. I'm for people. I want people to come to know Christ. I want people to be saved. I want people to be changed. I want people to come to know Christ. But when I forget that it's a spiritual battle, I start thinking people are my enemy. When I remember it's a spiritual battle, I remember that I'm for people. And you know what? I can't agree with everything that's going on. I can't agree with every decision people make. Of course not. But I can pray for them. 
Because the truth is, they're in a spiritual battle too. We live in the midst of a spiritual battle. And why is that so important that we remember that? Because, and, and I've got this on the slide, I just want you to, if this is all you take away this morning, that's fine. But here it is. You cannot win a spiritual battle with physical weapons. That's why we have to remember we're in a spiritual battle. Let me tell you, so many things happening in our nation, so much confusion, so many areas where it seems like people are lost. And I'm going to tell you, I will never be able to persuade somebody back to Christ in my own strength. I can't just convince them. We need Jesus to break into situations, right? If it's a spiritual battle and there's areas of darkness in our culture, in our families, in our communities, if there's areas of darkness, then what we need is the light of the world to break into those. We need Jesus to move in those. And I just want to remind you today, just let's stop and think about the powerlessness that you and I have without Christ. You and I don't have the power or ability to make one person new or to change their heart. God has to do that. I cannot change somebody's heart. I don't have the power to break the chains of addiction, right? Drug addiction, pornography addiction. I mean, also, even, even people are getting social media addiction. People are addicted it, to so many things, and I cannot break that power, but Jesus can, right? We talk about Jesus is a deliverer. He's a chain breaker. Jesus can do those things that I cannot do. And you know what? I can't overturn the powers of darkness that are so evidently at work in our world, our nation, and even our city. I can't do it on my own strength. And that's a good thing to recognize. Anything that humbles me and makes me not rely on my own strength can be used for good because my hope is that it will turn me to God in prayer to the one who can do something about it. The church is not powerless. The church is powerless on her own. But in Christ, I want you to think about this. All things are possible. All things are possible with God. On my own, I can't do it. I, I'm telling you, I can't change one thing on my own. But with God, all things are possible. And now think about this. With God, all things are possible, and God has chosen to give you and I access to him through prayer. And so now think about this. God has all the power we need. God has all the resources we need. God has all the chain-breaking. God has all the light we need. God has everything we need, and he's made himself available to us through prayer. He wants us just to come and talk to him. He wants us to call upon him, and actually he wants us to ask him to do the impossible. He wants us to look at situations that in, in our world that don't line up with his kingdom and ask him to move. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. Think about this prayer. This is how Jesus taught you and I to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus wants us to pray in such a way that we see the areas of our world that aren't lined up with God's will. Where people are lost, where there's darkness, where there's brokenness, where there's pain, where there's suffering. All the things that aren't, it's not like in heaven. God wants us to pray for those things that God would make it like heaven. 
That's what we have access to. A God who can change things and a God who has changed things. I'm telling you, this is why I didn't want you to think I was exaggerating because you cannot overstate the importance of prayer. So James says this about prayer in verse 516. And this is what we're gonna be talking about today. He says, the prayer of a righteous person, and I, I, I highlighted those two things, is powerful and effective. Meaning it can do more than you think it can, and it works. It's powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. But what this verse also reveals to us is that the prayer has an impact on the prayer. The person praying actually has an impact on the prayer being prayed. Because it doesn't say if any person prays. It says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so today, what we're gonna be talking about are what are some of these keys to effective prayer, to powerful, effective prayer prayer because I'm telling you Jesus over and over said something that I'm I'm prone to forget if I don't stay in the word which he said things like if you ask anything in my name it shall be done for you he says things like that a lot he, he talks about how God can do anything he says if you have faith the size of a mustard seed just a little faith you could say to this mountain move and it'll be moved and so we have access to probably more than we use in prayer, I've had to, I have to confess that a lot. I have access to more than I take advantage of at times in prayer. And, and yet, God is inviting us to pray and to pray effectively. And so that's what we're gonna talk about today by looking at the life of a man um, in the Old Testament. His name was Hezekiah, he was king. And what we're actually gonna do is we're gonna start with the prayer he prayed and we're actually gonna work backwards and look at his life um, but, but first, let me tell you a little bit about Hezekiah's time, okay, in the Old Testament. So King Hezekiah ruled in Judah. And just so you're aware, um, after King David, you know, a lot of people don't re- realize this. Israel was one country. After King David and King Solomon, they split into two countries in the Old Testament. So when you're reading, about, when you're reading almost all the prophets, they're actually talking about two different countries. They both were God's people, but you had Israel, which was the northern kingdom, and you had Judah, which was the southern kingdom. Israel was made up of ten tribes. Judah was made up of two. Um, and so Israel um, was pretty much... Ever, ever since the split, seemed to go from bad to worse. And Judah would kind of bounce back and forth. It's like they would go walk away from God, they would return to God. They would walk away from God, and they would return to God. And so um, what happened was over these years, it had been a couple hundred years since the split, this great world power, Assyria, was raised up. And God, told, God had promised, remember how it all began in the promised land. God said, I'm giving you this land. I'll protect you. But the people left him. The people forsook God. They, 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 they walked away from God. And so God let, God let Assyria come in and totally wipe out the northern kingdom. Okay, so now I want you to think about it. This is the time when Hezekiah is king. He's seen the northern kingdom be totally wiped out. And here he is, and in Hezekiah's lifetime, he watched Assyria destroy every single fortified city of Judah and bring its army right to the gates 
of Jerusalem. The army was so close to the gates of Jerusalem that when the Assyrians would yell out, the people on the walls would hear them and would get afraid. Judah had no chance. Judah, this country, this just two tribes against the greatest world power of that day. Judah had no chance. But you'll see in your notes if you look, it says Hezekiah and Isaiah, they cried out to God in prayer. And God answered. Because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And God sent an angel and destroyed this army that was standing at their gates. Friends, they had no hope. They had no chance. And God went out and he wiped out this army. He destroyed them and he delivered them. But what an, can we just stop for a minute and just say, our God can do anything? Let's say it together. Our God can do anything. Let's say it again. Ready? One, two, three. Our God can do anything. I slowed down that time. That was my fault. I'm sorry. But God could do anything. He could do anything. But what I want us to look at is, you know, it wasn't so much about the prayer. And in fact, if you notice in Chronicles, in the passage in there in Chronicles, it doesn't even say what was in the prayer. It just says they prayed. And God answered. But what I want you to look at is the life of Hezekiah and how he lived out some keys, some serious keys to having effective prayer life. And so we're going to look at those things today. And the first thing that we're going to talk about, the first key to praying effectively is consecration. It was amazing. I, had, I didn't even realize this when, uh, when I put this up there, I was like, no one knows what consecration means. We never even talk about it. And we sang it this morning. Did you catch that? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. We sang about it, and I almost hesitated to use the word consecration because we hear that word and we're like, what does that even mean? I don't even, is that a game? Is that, you know, is that one of Jaron's games he has? Consecration? No, it's not. Consecration, like I said, it's, it's one of those words we don't know, but you know, I can't find a better word yet. So I just have to keep it. I just have to continue using consecration until a better word comes along. Um, and, and we're gonna talk about what this is because when Hezekiah became king, okay, he became king after a wicked king. And so what, what did this king do? Well, here's what he did. Remember we talked earlier during prayer about how in the Old Testament the temple was the place where God's glory dwelled and now we're the temples. Well, what, these, what this wicked king did, his father did, was he actually brought idols and he brought false things of worship into God's temple. He, they, they were worshiping other gods and the Lord in the temple. And the very first thing Hezekiah does when he becomes king is he calls up the Levites, the spiritual le- leaders of those days, and, and listen to what he said. We've got the verses up there. He says, listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Then in verse 31 he says, he goes on to say, you have now dedicated yourselves to the Lord. And and I brought up those two verses and actually that whole chapter, if you read that whole passage in in, uh, 
Second um, Chronicles 29 is all talking about what consecration is, but this lays it out for us real simply. Consecration is two things. First, it's dedicating something to the Lord. So for the temple, the temple was supposed to be consecrated to the Lord, meaning only for the Lord. Only for the Lord. Utensils used for, for the temple. So, for instance, like if they used a bowl for the temple, that was its one and only use. This thing was consecrated. This thing was dedicated to the Lord. It, it's for the Lord. So when we take this thing, we're saying, I'm giving this to God. I'm consecrating it to the Lord. It's not my own anymore. That's, that's, that's what it looked like for the temple. But the second part is... is um, when it said, remove all defilement from the sanctuary, that's the second part of consecration. So it's giving God something, right? And then it's removing anything, anything that, God, that God dislikes. It's removing any idols. It's removing any filth. It's removing anything in the temple that should not be in the temple. It's getting rid of it. That's what consecration looks like for a temple, but he didn't just say consecrate the temple. He said consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves to the Lord. And, and so what does that look like for us to do? And uh, Daryl, I'm calling an audible here. You ready? Okay. Can you pull up the words to take my life? Could you do that? Just start there at the, at the beginning. Daryl's the man. He may talk to me afterwards, but he's the man. So, but here's what it says. Like, we sang this song, and I just sat there, and I said, yes, that's better than my notes. Let's just read that. It says, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Okay, next slide. All right, here we go. You ready? Here's what it means. So, Lord, I want my life to be consecrated. So that means my hands. Why don't you take them, Lord? Instead of my hands serving only me, let's let my hands live and work at the impulse of what you want. Let my hands live out your love. Let, let's do that. Next slide, please. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. God, instead of my feet constantly taking me where I want to go, let my feet take me where you want me to go. Next slide. Take my voice and let me sing, always only for my king. God, when I give you my life, when I consecrate my life to you, it doesn't just mean I'm saying I'm gonna come to church. It means I want my hands to love and be moved by you. I want my feet to take me where you would go. I want my voice to speak words that you would say. And we're not gonna go through the whole song, but this song breaks it down for us so clearly. You can go back to the slides. Thank you, Daryl. Let's all give Daryl a hand. But this is what consecration means. It means I am not my own. I have given myself to God. Just like, just like the, the utensils used in the temple, like their purpose is for God now. That's my purpose now. And, and, and at the same time that I dedicate myself to God, I remove all known sin, all known sin. Okay, if there's an area of my life that's out of line with God's will, I remove it because that part can't serve in God's temple. And you know what? You don't have to be, you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be perfect to come to God. You can come just how you are and say, Lord, I give you my life. Help me to turn from all my sin. A anything I know is wrong, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna walk with you now. I dedicate my life to you. He'll show you along the way. He'll help you change. He'll transform you from the inside out. 
But that's what consecration means. And can I share something with you from my heart this morning? Is I have so many friends, and I have contacts with so many churches, and, and I've been a part of Christianity in America for my whole life. Um, sometimes I think consecration um, the two parts of consecration sometimes we can miss in the church. I'm just telling you from my heart because I love you and I care about you that sometimes myself included, I'm going to start with me, um, I can miss out on what consecration really means. Um, sometimes I've forgotten, you know, I've made Christianity, I can remember being a teen, I've made Christianity a list of things not to do. That's not consecration. That's not what it means to give myself to the Lord. What that was for me was like, just try and not be bad enough, right, to go to hell. That was my goal. Like, I don't want to be so bad that, I, that I'm outside of God's presence. I want to do just enough. What's just enough? And you know, here was, here's an example of my walk with God back then. Here's what it was. The best picture I can give you is how I treated high school. That's how I treated God. Here's what I needed in high school, a B minus. Anybody else have a grade they needed to bring home to mom and dad? You couldn't bring anything lower than that? Mine was an 80% B minus. And I would come home with an A in gym and like an A in choir and like five B minuses. Because I would sit there, I'm not even kidding you, this is so, I'm, I was the laziest student you could ever meet. I would sit there and I would go through my assignments and I would, look at, I would look at stuff and once I had calculated I had enough points to get an 80%, I'd stop trying. You know, if the class was, was worth 1,000 points and I had 802, that's an 80.2%. That's a B minus. I don't have to do anything for the next week. I would do this. I would do this. I, I, mean, I would just give the least amount of effort possible. And you know what? I've done that to God, too. I've done that to God, too. God, what is the bare minimum requirement that I have to do? That's all, that's all, that's all I'm gonna do. Okay, just don't do these bad things. Just, just stay away from these big things, don't do those. That's what it means to be a Christian. No way, no way. Think about this. Jesus gave his life for you and me. And he asks us to give our lives in return. That's consecration. You and I were bought with a price. It was the blood of Jesus. When he died for us, that's consecration. And why is this so important to prayer? You, you might say, Travis, you're talking about prayer. I'm gonna tell you, it's really hard to pray for God's kingdom to come when I'm living for my kingdom. That's why it limits us in prayer. If everything's about me, it's hard to pray about him. It's hard to pray for other people. It's hard to really be sincere in praying that God's kingdom come and God's will be done, when in my own life, I don't even really want God's kingdom to come. And in my own life, I don't even really want God's will to be done. I wanna do just enough. I wanna get beyond just enough Christianity. I wanna get to all in, this is my passion, Christianity. This is what I live for is Christ, to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That's where I wanna be. That's where I'm praying that each of us would, would be. And you know what, when we take a step back from that, we would just confess it, not hide it, not try to, 
not try to pretend, but just confess it and say, Lord, there's been some areas in my life I've been putting me first. I, I wanna put you first. I'm dedicating my life to you. And, and that's what we sang this morning. Take my life, I give it once again. It's not a one-time thing, I'm giving it again and again and again. I lay it down. Paul said it like this, I die daily. I die daily to my own will. I die daily to my own desires. I'm living for God now because Jesus has a kingdom purpose for me. Jesus has a kingdom purpose for you. So parents, my challenge for you today is to ask yourself this question. Not, don't ask, you know, do my, are my kids going to church or not, um, you know, are my kids staying away from the big sins, but just ask yourself this question. How can I help my kids see the importance of dedicating their life to the Lord? That's a different thing. I don't just want them in church. I want church in them, right? I don't want them just to sit in the pew. Like I want God in them, flowing through them. So how can I help my kids? How can I train them up and teach them in the way that they should go? How can I model that? Consecration, it's so important, it's critical. So, but the next thing that Hezekiah did after he consecrated the people and consecrated the temple, he dedicated it to the Lord. This is yours, and we're removing all the filth that gets in the way. The next thing he did was he offered God sacrificial worship. Sacrificial worship. We're going to look at two passages here um, from 2 Chronicles 30. Um, two separate verses, but here it goes. It says, Hezekiah sent word to all Israel and Judah and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, inviting them to come to the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. Hezekiah, king of Judah, provided a 1,000 bulls and 7,000 sheep and goats for the assembly. And the officials provided them with a 1,000 bulls and 10,000 sheep and goats. So after they were consecrated, Hezekiah then led the people in celebrating the Passover in a way that had not been celebrated in over 200 years, yet it was required by God. Hadn't been celebrated this way since King Solomon. And, and what Hezekiah did was he invited not just his tribe, but the people in Israel who had been left behind after Assyria had, had taken them over and exiled. He even invited them to come and celebrate this Passover. But I want to tell you, the Passover was costly worship. As you heard, Hezekiah led the way in sacrificing from his flock thousands. And, and not only that, but to even come to this worship, people who were far away, they'd have to leave their homes. They'd have to bring their family. They'd have to leave and go up to Jerusalem. It wasn't, you couldn't just drive to church Sunday morning. You had to leave. You were gone for weeks. And actually, at this worship celebration, they ended up staying an extra week. Anybody want to stay? Let's just do two services this morning. <laughs> okay, don't, don't raise your hands. I only have one sermon ready. Okay. But that's what they did. They went for an extra week. They, they worshiped and they gave sacrificially because Hezekiah understood something. And he, he wasn't the one that laid down this pr principle. It was actually... King David who did, but he understood that real worship requires real sacrifice. Real worship requires real sacrifice. David said it like this, I will not offer 
burnt offerings to the Lord that, to the Lord my God, that cost me nothing. Meaning, I'm not gonna come to worship and let somebody else pay my way. I'm not just gonna show up and, and, and give God what cost me nothing. And, and can I tell you something? That's exactly some of the things that the prophets were prophesying to the people of, in Israel about before Assyria came and wiped them out. They were talking about how we would give God sacrifices that weren't our best. See, the original Passover and the original sacrifices were you get the best of your flock, you get the best of your grain, you bring your very best, and that's what you bring to God in worship. But over time, they began to bring just their average or even their lame, their sick. You read about that in Malachi. They would bring actually their worst to God. And friends, today, we live in a world that does almost everything it can. We look to find what's the quickest way we can do it, what's the cheapest way, and what's the easiest way. And then you have Amazon, right? Right? I mean, it's, just, it's quick, it's cheap, it's easy. And that's, I, mean, I gotta tell you, I'm a prime member for those three reasons. It's quick, it's cheap, it's easy. It's quick, it's cheap, it's easy. I go online, I order, it shows up at my door. It, it, it costs less than the competitors most of the time. So I'm paying the least amount, I'm doing the least amount of work, and it arrives, and boom, there it is. It's quick, it's cheap, it's easy. But that cannot be how we worship God. I don't wanna worship God only when it's convenient. I don't wanna worship God only when it costs me nothing. I, I wanna worship God as a lifestyle. I wanna worship God even when it's hard. I wanna worship God even when it's difficult because God, I'm gonna tell you this, God doesn't want lip service from us. He wants life service. That's what worship is. Worship always flows out of your life. Singing a song on Sunday is, is for me, it's like the epitome of a, of a week lived for God. Yeah, we may have had some missteps during the week, and yeah, we've probably, you know, had some, maybe some areas where it's like, okay, you know what, maybe, maybe Tuesday it was just like, I, I, I totally just was upset, I had something going on, I, I missed my devotions, I didn't pray, Wednesday wasn't that great either, but you know what, this week, I, I, I got it back together, I worshiped God all weekend, I come and I sing songs to God, and it's just, and it's just a, like a cap on the week, or, or a great start to the next one, depending on how you view Sunday, beginning or end of the week, but God doesn't just want our songs. I mean, we worship God every area of our life is worship. The, the way we treat others, how, how, we, how we talk to people at work, it's worship. We worship God through the way that we live by just giving him.